Good afternoon, everybody. So glad to see everybody in person. I was really uh, sad we, we didn't meet uh, last week, but I understand we had to, to be safe, but I'm really glad to see you guys because uh, I just love seeing you, and I just love uh, meeting in person. There's nothing like it, though I'm really grateful for our online options as well. Um, but yeah, we are in part three. First of all, I'm Alvin, for those of you who are here for the first time, I'm the lead pastor here, and I am on part three of a series that we're calling The Former Victims Club. And uh, I've really enjoyed teaching this. We've got today and we've got one more before the series is over. Um, before we get into it, I would like to do our pre-word declaration that we've been doing for 2021. And uh, repeat after me. We'll have the words on the screen. It says, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. So, like I said, we are in the former Victims Club series. And the reason why we are spending an entire month talking about uh, retiring from uh, a victim mentality because it's, uh, the theme of our year is I'm a life giver. I'm a life giver is the theme for 2021. And I believe there are few things that hinder the identity of a life giver more than a victim mentality. Few things will limit that identity in us more than a victim mentality. Um, we are adopting this mentality as life givers, as individuals, and as a church. And I'm really excited. I'm already seeing change. Just so you know, like, I'm already seeing noticeable change in individuals and as the church. So I'm really excited for where we're headed this year. Um, the former Victims Club, in case you need to know, is for people who have at one point been hurt but have avoided or escaped a victim mentality. I said a few weeks ago, former Victims Club does not mean you've never been through anything. It actually means that you have. You were a victim at some point. You've been hurt in a real way, in a very genuine, sincere way. Most of the things are, were not your fault. Um, at the same time, there's a difference in having an, a victim experience and a victim lens from which you look at life, from which you see yourself, and it actually can be very toxic to you and the people around you if you uh, have a perspective um, of, of a victim. The full gospel that we follow and that we teach calls us life givers. We said last week that, that through Christ we are the light of the world, we are the lenders to the world, and we are the life givers uh, for the world. And that is the identity that we have as believers. I was uh, really encouraged just thinking about how God sees us greater than we see ourselves. If you look in scripture, you always see God calling people to be someone that they didn't know that they were or didn't know they could be. And that's the theme in scripture throughout the entire thing. And even with my life, like me being called to be in this position is so beyond what I saw for myself. And that's something I think we can all relate to. I can guarantee that God's vision for your life is greater than what you thought was possible for yourself. I was meeting with a, a friend that I hadn't seen in years, and he had just celebrated one year uh, of sobriety from drugs and alcohol. And I was really excited for him. And when he was telling me about it, he said, honestly, man, I didn't know that life could be like this. I never knew that it was possible to be at, at, in so much clarity and so much peace in my life because for so many years he had been intoxicated. And I, that really spoke to me about how when God pulls you out of darkness into light, it goes beyond what you thought was possible. Um, even, even within the church, we, we, we still 
find ourselves shortchanging uh, ourselves and our future. We, we still find ourselves underestimating the glory that God has for our lives. Even w- within the church, like we, we have the, the mentality in church sometimes that, you know, when it comes to the, the progress of our life, we go from being oppressed to liberated. But if you look in scripture, it says that we go from being oppressed to liberators. And there's a difference in being liberated and actually being a liberator. You know, Moses was liberated and then he was sent to be a deliverer for the Israelites. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's the theme of scripture. There's a difference in being uh, cursed and then being blessed to being cursed to being a blessing. And like that, the first one is how we usually think. Okay, cool. The gospel is, you know, I was cursed, but now I'm blessed. But the full gospel, everyone say the full gospel. We need to start believing the full gospel. The full gospel says I was cursed and now I'm a blessing. The partial gospel says I was poor, but now I have provision. But the full gospel is I was poor and now I'm a provider. There's a difference in being provided for, which is great, but the Lord is calling us to actually be providers. He says you will be the lender and not the borrower. So I'm trying to elevate our thinking. I'm trying to take off the barriers that we can subconsciously put on ourselves and on God. You know, the song, and no disrespect on the song, but it says I was blind, but now I see But the full gospel is I was blind, but now I'm opening the eyes of the blind. We can actually minister to people to where the blinders are taken off of their eyes. That's greater than being able to see. Not only can I see, but I can lead others to being being able to see. So this is the full gospel. This is, and and the, the full gospel is so impossible to grasp if we still are stuck in the victim mentality. We see this theme of going beyond what we thought was possible and going beyond into the full gospel with Jesus. Jesus is our model for for everything that we do in this life as Christians. Ephesians chapter two, it's a short verse, uh, four through six. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us, Jesus, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the reason why I put that, because that's, that reveals a theme and a pattern that comes with the gospel. We all know in a few weeks, in about a month, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And that's amazing, right? That's awesome. But the full gospel is not only did he raise from the dead, but the scripture says he raised us up with him. And that's what I'm trying to understand, you guys to understand. When God blesses your life, it's not just for you. When the Holy Spirit rose Jesus from the dead, he also rose us up with him. And that's the full gospel. And that's what I'm really trying. He didn't just save you so that you could have. He saved you so that you can lend and give to others. It's, there's more. There's more. A lot of times I've talked to a lot of you and sometimes we feel antsy. And we feel like, I just feel like there's more. I just feel like there's more to this life. And it's true. There is more. You can go from being blessed to being a blessing. The cross doesn't just save you. The cross enables you to help save others. That's the full gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. This is another foundational scripture. I refer to it a lot. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, raise your hand if you're in Christ. Yeah, wow, hands and voice, awesome. Excitement, I love that, keep that, you're gonna need it. You're gonna need that enthusiasm. 
He is a new creation. So everyone that rose your hand, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Period. No. And. Everyone say and. I'm trying to lead us to the and. Some of us have put periods on our sentence prematurely. And there is an end. Not only did he reconcile us to the Father, but to himself, but and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, in, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And there's more. There's more. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you know that when you were saved, you were also entrusted with the ministry? You were entrusted with a message. This is the full gospel. This is why we have to know our word. He didn't just reconcile us to the Father, period. He reconciled us and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal to the world through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The reason why I'm harping on that there's more and God has not just given you life, but he's making you a life giver. And I'm highlighting all the ands in scripture so that we don't shortchange our identity. God is in the business of putting life-giving calls on people before they even realize it. God is telling us we're life givers. And if you're wondering why, you feel like you don't have that much life, but yet God is calling you to be a life giver, just know that you are in good company. That's always how it is. He's always calling us to go beyond where we believe we are currently. He did it with Abraham. He called him a father of nations decades before he and his wife could even have kids. This is the style of our God. He does this. You're in good company if you think that he's calling you to be somebody that you don't believe that you are. He did it with Peter. When he was still double-minded Simon, he says, you're going to be a rock. When he was still double-minded, God called him to be stable and to be a rock. He did it to Paul while Paul was still Saul persecuting Christians. He says, that is my ambassador. He is going to preach and I'm going to use him. This is the style of God. It is not by accident that he's talking to people who barely feel like they have enough life to make it 24 hours and saying that you're a life giver. This is his style. This is how he's always done it. Today I want to talk to you guys, talk to you about a woman who was called to be a provider right in the midst of when she thought she had nothing. I'm trying to let you guys see this is how God works. If you feel unqualified, if you feel like you have nothing left, but yet you're still sensing that God or a man of God or a woman of God in your life is saying that you are more, this is his style, this is what he does, and he has a track record of it. First Kings chapter 17, I've preached on this woman a lot. I love, there's so much to extract from this scripture. This woman was a widow and is a great example to the resistance that is in so many of us right now when it comes to believing that we are more than we thought we were and that we have more than we thought we had. First Kings, starting at verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, talking about Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon or Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. This story takes place, just so you know, during a great drought. It hadn't rained in three years at this time. The vegetation was affected. The economy was affected. 
at that time, you were either poor, dying, or dead. Yet God gave a word to a widow woman that she was going to feed Elijah and told Elijah that the widow was going to feed him. 1 Kings 17 verse 10. So he, Elijah, arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Verse 11. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. God is in the style of using unlikely people in unlikely situations to do and provide miraculous things. This was a helpless widow who was called to feed him just before she was preparing her last meal so she could die. Needless to say, this woman was not in a good place. For some of you guys who think you got to get in a good place before God can use you, how many times have we heard that at this church? Let me get myself together and then I can start serving. This woman was about to die. Y'all have been in, none of y'all have been in places where y'all are about to die. We're talking about, I don't know, other things. Like this woman was about to die and God was about to use her. And again, we're sensitive, we're fine, but just so you know, scripture shows that even when you're seconds away from dying, God could still call you to give something. Just so you know, that's between you and God. We have to be nice. We have to say, okay, God bless you. But just so you know, 1 Kings 17. Just so you know. <laughs> uh, uh, where am I? Sorry. So this is a revelation that the church needs to hear. The widow was a life giver, not according to her circumstance, not according to her feelings, but according to God's word to Elijah. God knew she was a life giver. Elijah knew he was, she was a life giver. The only person who didn't know or didn't believe was the widow. And how do we know this? By her words and her attitude. Easy. There's no question. Like, her words gave it away, and her attitude gave it away, just like us. Our words give it away, and our attitude, it gives it away. She still thought she was a victim. She was a victim of the drought. She was a victim of her husband's death. She was a victim of singleness. She was a victim of unemployment. She was a victim of illness. She was a victim of abandonment. She was so secure in her victim mindset that she believed that there was nothing left to do but die. Many of us have been there, I've been there. If you foster a victim mentality long enough, there will seem to be no other logical thing to do next but die. If you foster that thing long enough, you too will think there's nothing left for me to do but eat my last supper and die. So many have been at this place, and so many never recovered. But we are still alive, and there's still a chance to turn things around. The story goes on when Elijah convinces her to participate in what turns into be a miracle. She obeys Elijah and uses little that she had, ends up multiplying her food supernaturally, and it was astounding for her and her son. By the end of the miracle, she proved to be a life giver indeed. Being able to provide food, 
not only for Elijah, but for herself and her son all the way until the drought was over. That little bit that she had ended up being enough to sustain her and her family for the rest of the drought. There's power in obeying God's word, even if it doesn't make any sense to you. There's power in believing in what he says and who he says you are. There's a miracle on the other side of you believing the impossible about who God says you are. You would think this would be enough to revive her faith for the rest of her life. I don't know about you guys. I can't imagine having a, a testimony where there was a two tablespoons of flour and I was able to feed me and my family for months. I can't imagine having that testimony and not being set for the rest of my life believing God in his word. You would think, but let's read the story. Let's continue the story. Verse 17 through 18. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. Everyone say something else happened. It's always some, there's always something else. You can be raised from the dead on Tuesday, and Thursday there will be something else ready to take your faith. You can be healed from cancer today, and by Wednesday there will be something else trying to steal your faith. This woman just had an incredible miracle, and right after that, something else happened. Her son got sick, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me, you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. So not only is she a victim again, but now it's Elijah's fault. Now Elijah has a personal vendetta against her and came and did all these miracles just to condemn her and kill her son. This is how it happens for so many of us. We, 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 we look at this going, man, where was her faith? Guys, we get a taste of being the life giver that God calls us to be. We get a taste of it. And then something happens, an unexpected disappointment. And so quickly we revert right back to what we know best. We're a victim. The world's out to get us. And actually it's the man of God's fault. <laughs> So quickly, we can revert right back to being the victim of our story. Guys, be careful because there's always going to be that pull to try to put you back in the most comfortable role that you've accepted, and that is I am the victim of my story. She got a taste of being the life giver. She got a taste of being the life, wow, I can actually provide not only food for someone, but to the man of God. I can bless my son. I'm a provider. I'm a life giver. And then he gets sick, and she goes right back. She reverts right back to what she knows best, being a victim. Elijah takes the accusation graciously. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't go, but lady, I just did all this. Elijah's a man of God. Elijah took the child, verse 23 through 24. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. That's where the story ends. But I can only assume that within days later, something else tried to take her faith. We don't know how it went after this, but the good news is at verse 24, she said, okay, now I know. But the question is, now does she know 
who she is? Does she know who her God is? Does she know what's possible? Guys, we have to learn how to utilize the miracles that have happened in our lives. We have to know how to go back and say, well, God did this and God did that. So therefore, I think he's going to be able to do this. We've got to know how to use what God has done for us to, to fuel our faith and not let the disappointments destroy our faith. How many of us are life givers this very moment, but we're still hung up on a disappointment? We're still hung up on how badly we retreated or how, how unfair our past was. Many of us have been like this woman and we assume that our future is robbed just because so much of our past was robbed. There's no way I can have a bright future in all these things if all this stuff happened in my past. Guys, we cannot let our past dictate who we are and where our future is headed. This month, I believe that many of us are turning in our victim's card and becoming life givers. We're joining the former victim's club. It's happening. I'm seeing people's minds, mindsets change. There's a friend of mine I used to work out with back when I used to work out. Um, and he was a victim of a terrible fire. Terrible fire. There was a hole that some deep hole that somehow he fell in and I can't remember the details because it's been years since I heard it, but there were some explosives or some firecrackers or something and he ended up getting stuck in a hole and a huge fire and he couldn't get out of the hole and he was burnt all over his body. Still to this day has all the scars. But he's the most positive, happy guy. And we were asking about a story, and he said, I just refuse to see myself as a victim anymore. He said that was the key to him still enjoying life after going through something so traumatic. Being in the former victims club does not mean that you deny that you were in a traumatic fire and got burnt all over. It doesn't mean saying that that didn't happen. Oh, that didn't happen. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's something else. That's not the gospel, like... The gospel is not amnesia, you know? The gospel is not, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's, we're not saying to pretend that bad things didn't happen. The Lord said, and, and there's no need to do that because the Lord says he uses all things to work together for your good. So it's actually harmful to pretend that it didn't happen to just, because that's, that's one more ingredient that God could have been using for your benefit. He didn't see himself as a victim anymore. And because of it, his outlook and his attitude, he's one of the most inspirational guys. And he's been through something traumatic. As long as you see yourself as a victim, you can only see yourself as being a recipient of help and never the giver of it. As long as you're still the victim, you can't help but deem your struggles more severe and significant than anyone else's. And you end up subconsciously taking this idea that you're the only person who's ever been through anything, and therefore everybody needs to cater to your life. And there's no capacity to cater to others because your trauma and your issues have become so enlarged that that's all you see. And try to keep that and step into being a life giver you won't last two hours. Because being a life giver, it says to place others before yourself. That's, I'm out. <laughs> you lost me at that. If you're a victim, you don't feel like you can even do that. It's a very back doorway into some extreme selfishness, which is my next part. <laughs> Praise God. I had someone... Uh, a few <laughs> months ago, 
schedule a meeting with me, and I was I really appreciate it because great person and someone I look up to, and was like now because they knew I was about to take this position, and they're like now are you willing to preach the gospel boldly, regardless of who gets offended and who might go? Look in my eyes and tell me you're willing to do that. I was like yes, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. So I'm living up to my promise to the woman that challenged me. But, you know, normally when I was first writing this message, I was going to say, if you have a victim mentality, it doesn't mean that you're bad. It doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're a bad person or there's no reflection of your character. You just, just, you know, you just need to really just, uh, I was going to say something really diplomatic and warm. But scripture is not as diplomatic as Christians. And, and I'm a man of God, which means I belong to God, right? Like, I don't belong to myself. I don't, as a pastor, I don't give myself the right to go off the script. I don't give myself the right to insert my own opinions over the opinions of God. Come what may, slash persecution and all types of stuff and people mad at me. I don't have the right to do that. So as diplomatic as my personality actually is, I'm a man of the word. In scripture, God gives a scenario about a person with a victim mentality and his judgment towards that person is not the same that I would give and probably most of the people in this room. And that is in the parable of the talents. I'm so hiding behind Jesus right now. Y'all have no idea. There were three men who were given an amount of money. And the commandment was produce a return with the money that you're given. Of the three men, two produced a return and one didn't. There was one who didn't, and this was his explanation why. He had an explanation. And I want to read this together to see if we can identify and spot out the victim mentality that we're trying to, to eradicate and get out of our lives. Matthew 25, 24 through 30. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant, wow, Jesus, cast the worthless servant out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. When you start to work with people over the years, you get to learn like stuff in between the lines and the passive things and the implications and all the little subtleties of jabs. This one servant implied that his, his disobedience to his master was actually his master's fault. You're a scary guy. And... I was afraid. 
This is very similar to our buddy Adam, who when he sinned, imply that it was Eve's fault by way of God's fault who gave him Eve. The victim mentality has been around for a long time. It's definitely not new to millennials. Boomers didn't start it. We're talking about Adam. Let me tell you what a victim mentality does. A victim mentality abandons responsibility. As long as you're a victim, you feel justified in taking no responsibility for your sin. A victim mentality justifies disobedience. It was someone else's fault. That's why I sinned. God, it was actually your fault. No offense. That's why I sinned. A victim mentality ultimately proves to be wicked. Ultimately proves. The reason why I say that, because in the beginning, it doesn't seem like it. We have to learn to see fear for what it is. A lot of times, guys, we have really made fear to be sweet. We've made fear to be the the image that most of us take on when fear is, is the little kitten who's behind the cupboard and is like really sweet and just doesn't want to, you know, just like, a kind of a sweet thing. We need to start thinking of a different image when we come, when we think of fear and, and think of the wounded Rottweiler who when you want to come and give them food, they bite your hand off because they're afraid. There are two faces of fear. There's a little kitten who's like, oh, that's sweet and you want to like coddle and like pet that kitten. That, that's the kind of fear that we feel the need to pet. But then there's this other fear where the threat and the triggering causes you to bite the very hand that's trying to help you. We see it in animals all the time and we see it in people. It's time that we start elevating this face of fear because then we won't see it as um, harmless as we think fear is. Fear is not harmless. It's not harmless. Now, the reason why I'm saying I'm hiding behind Jesus is because our culture is currently very highly sensitive to the victim mentality, which is why it's dead silent in this room. Not only are we sensitive to it, but we believe that we should cater to it in the name of love, in the name of Jesus. Now, I believe in empathy. I believe in serving those who are in need because that is who God is. That is his character. It will always be his character. That's why we're saved today because he saw that we needed help and he came to our rescue. But there's a difference between empathy and enablement. There's a difference between empathy and being manipulated. This parable shows that Jesus knows the difference between empathy and manipulation. That last servant tried him. If I come like I was scared of him, he'll have sympathy with me and say, you know what, in fact, guys, y'all give him all y'all's money. This scared guy, come, come, you know, you're staying with me today. You know, in fact, I'm going to give you an extra talent. That's what he thought. Jesus flipped one on him. Jesus came out of nowhere and said, you wicked, slothful servant. Now, again, Jesus telling the story, the master, sorry, the master in the parable. But, I mean, duh, Jesus, master, come on. He's telling a parable, and the master said, you wicked servant. 
And then he said, let's say you were scared. I'll give you that. At least you could have done X, Y, and Z. Fear is not harmless. We know the scripture, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but yet we still think it's harmless. Guys, if God didn't give it to you, who do you think gave it to you? We just, we, 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 we create this category of like neutral. God didn't give it to me, but Satan didn't. It's just there. God did not give you the spirit of fear. Some translations say the fear of timidity. So if God didn't give it to you and you have it, where do you think it came from? Timidity is not from God. Fear is not from God. We cannot let fear and this, I'm under the hand of the devil, or I'm under the hand of my landlord, or I'm under the hand of my unfair boss, or I'm under the hand of my addiction. We, 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 we consider ourselves under the hand of people where God goes, I didn't call you that. I called you to be the head. And not the tail. So if you believe you're the tail, who do you think told you that? Guys, Satan is not harmless. He's mean and he has three objectives. To kill you, to destroy you, and to steal from you. We cannot make light of fear. We cannot make light of timidity. We've got to start elevating it to all the other things that we hold such, you know, getting drunk and fornication and cussing and stuff like that. We need to start looking at it like that. If we start looking at fear the same way we looked at fornication, if we start looking at fear the same way we looked at lying, I bet you we wouldn't tolerate it. If we looked at fear the same way we looked at murder, I bet you we wouldn't tolerate it. Fear is running rampant in the body of Christ. Because we still think that it's a small issue compared to the big stuff. But it's a big thing, guys. In scripture, we see whenever someone was afraid, like by God or an angel, the council was very quick. And it said, fear not. Basically, stop. Well, it's just not that easy, Alvin. That's why we read the Bible, because we get to see how other people did it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you snap your fingers and you're not afraid anymore, but I am saying that God's word is a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. I am saying when you see how Mary got past that fear, how do you think she felt with the pressure of knowing that she was about to deliver the Savior of the world? We would all say she had a reason to be afraid, and the angel said, fear not. She got over it eventually. How do you think Moses felt? How do you think Abraham felt? How do you think Peter felt? This is why we read scripture, because we're inspired by people who were afraid and responded to fear not and actually stopped fearing. I know it's not that easy. At the same time, we have heroes in this hall of faith that we can read from every day and draw inspiration from. If Mary was able to fear not, then I'm able to fear not. If Peter was able to fear not, then I'm able to fear not. If Moses was able to fear not, then I'm able to fear not. We don't feed ourselves enough of these stories. Instead, we're like, well, you know, my cousin, you know, she had that and we're pulling from our cousins. We're pulling from our neighbors and our dad, and our granddad, and our uncles. We got the wrong heroes. Our heroes are people who are sinners, like people who aren't even saved. We refer to people who aren't even saved. And that's, that, that's, those are our heroes instead of these people of God, these people of faith, the people who defied the odds and conquered fear. Are y'all still with me? Paul gives, again, y'all need to switch your heroes. 
Swap out Uncle Uncle Joe with Paul. Swap out Sister Susie with, with Mary. We, we draw from bad examples way more naturally than we do good examples. This is not in my notes, but when the, when the just, guys, this, I just want you guys to know that this is normal. Like, this is human nature, guys. When the 12 spies went to go look at the land that God said that you can conquer, 10 of the t- 12 said we can't do it. Only two of the 12 said we can do it. So I'm telling you guys, don't be condemned. We have, this has been us from the beginning. I'm not singling you out. I'm literally talking about humanity. Please don't let the enemy bring offense to convince you that this whole message was about somebody, one person. I was going to say a name, but then they're going to be like, see, God, I knew it. You guys are amazing. Guys, Adam did this. Eve did this. The disciples did this. Think it not strange that you have a prone, that you're, you have a bent towards fear. We all, we all got it honestly. We get it honestly. We were born in this way. But Jesus makes us born again. He makes us new creations. He makes us redeemed by his blood. We are transformed into new creations who are now people of faith. This is why repentance is necessary for every walking human being. Because without repentance, we'd all be a part of that tent saying, I can't do that. I know God's, yeah, your God said that. I'm going back. I'm going back to slavery because at least I knew where I was going to eat. That would be us. But Christ, last part, Romans 8, Paul gives us this great exhortation of why we have no reason to fear. He starts off bold. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Guys, you got to know, I'm not just telling you to like do 10 push-ups and hit your chest and be like, I'm not afraid anymore. Because nothing's going to come from that. Flesh cannot produce bravery and courage. We have to draw from something else. Paul says, if God is for us, he's teaching us how to process. If God, who created the universe, is on my side, he's on my team, then like this is what Paul is trying to walk us through. And some of you as Christians need to get better at drawing people to the word. I'm telling you, part of the reason why I'm doing a semester together is because I'm not really sure what y'all are telling people when they're afraid. I can't honestly say I know what counsel people are getting right now. We're enabling fear instead of bringing up the word of God. Which is why I said, y'all all, we're all meeting together. Because I know one thing, I've got a lot of flaws, but I know one thing, I'm going to bring up the word. And until that becomes our rhythm again, Tuesday night. (laughs) Which is happening, it is happening, just so you guys know. It's only been two weeks, and people are responding to the word. I'm seeing it. Y'all, at this rate, by... Week eight, we could probably just stop. Like, we're, it's happening. It's happening. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave. So now he's pointing to the love of God. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Paul's the man. Paul's, Paul's, okay, if they're afraid, 
Let me talk about the greatness of God, the power of God, but now let me talk to the love of God. This is, one, this is someone who spared his own life, who did not spare his own son, sorry, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul knows that perfect love casts out all fear. So let me talk about how much God loves you. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Identity, you're God's elect. If, you're, if God elected you, he's the judge. So if the judge elects us, then who can have charges against us? Again, he's trying to minister to our thinking, guys. Who is it to, con- I'm sorry, uh, it is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? This is stuff that you tell somebody who's, a, who's afraid. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's the victim mentality. I'm nothing but a sheep on his way to get slaughtered. And Paul quickly answers, no, you are not a victim. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not only is he saying you're a conqueror, he's saying you're more than that. We're thinking we're sheep being slaughtered, and this is conqueror. He goes, no, you're way over here, which is why it sounds so far-fetched. I'm telling you that you're a life giver. God is not a God of enough. He's the God of more than enough, right? The widow woman was without, and we would think the miracle is, great, she has enough for her and her son. But he goes, no, you had enough for Elijah too, and to, to last you until the drought's over. Identity, I'm a sheep headed towards the slaughter. I'm a victim. My life is up. We think it'd be good enough to just be a sheep not being slaughtered. Today, maybe next week I'll get slaughtered. I got another week, praise God. He goes, no, I'm taking you over here. Now you're a conqueror, you're more than a conqueror. This is the pep talk from Paul. You need to memorize this, guys. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, bringing it back to love. Because what cast out fear? Perfect love. Paul was the man. I mean, man, he broke this down perfectly. Please do not take the former victims club as an exclusive club that you can't be in because of how many things you've been through. Remember that the former victims club is for people who have been victims, but either avoided or escaped the mentality of a victim. Paul makes an autobiographical list of the hardships that were waged against his life. Condemnation, being degraded and stripped, being starved, distressed, multiple assassination attempts against his life. He quickly compares himself to a sheep on his way to be slaughtered. Then he quickly fires back with no. I will not identify as a sheep being slaughtered because I am more than a conqueror. I am a church planter. I am a disciple maker. I am a lender. I am a giver. This is what Paul is telling us. Not because of anything, not because nothing terrible happened to me in my past, but because God is for me. God loves me. God didn't spare his own son. And if he gave me his own son, then what else would he withhold from me? Like, if he's willing to give us his own son, then you tell me what else. Like, there's not, that, that's proof that there's no limits. 
God declares who you are, guys, the smarter, the faster you realize that God tells you who you are, the better your life will be and the better the life of others will be. Like this will bless some of your spouses. This will bless some of your kids. This will bless some of your parents. This will bless your coworkers. This will bless your employers. This will bless this will bless your employees. This will bless your neighbors. Like this revelation, everybody will be saying thank you Jesus. When Alvin gets over his victim mentality, man, not only am I blessed, but mom and dad are blessed. Ashley's blessed. Kenny's blessed. My staff is blessed. Thank God Alvin's free. I'm telling you, when you break free of your victim mentality, other people will throw a party for you. Because they've been having to (laughs) endure it. Trust me, they're silent, but they have been enduring it. If you just asked them, you might learn some things. God loves us, guys. And he's calling us to be more, more, more than conquerors, life givers, lenders, light, salt, That's why I'm going, because we can't get there if we're still here. So let's all stand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the cross that delivers us from the oppression of the enemy, from the oppression of fear, from the lies of the enemy, from the trauma of our backgrounds, the curses that have been spoken over us. The harm that's been inflicted on us, the betrayal that we've had to endure, the heartbreak that we've had to go through, the disappointments after disappointments after disappointment. Lord, you were there for that, for all of that. We're not talking to a God who cannot empathize with our weakness, who isn't a stranger to the hardships that we've been through. And we thank you, Jesus, that you get it. But God, we can't ignore the fact that you shed your blood. We can't ignore the fact that your blood was shed to redeem all of those situations and to turn it for our good. So God, we repent for still seeing ourselves as victims of our story. But Lord, help us to be inspired by the widow woman in 1 Kings and Paul and Jesus who right at their lowest point when Jesus, when you were shedding the last drop of blood and they pierced you in your side and blood and water came out at your weakest, lowest state that was actually when the victory was won. Because of your death, we have life. Because you conquered sin and all of the horrible things that have happened to all of us in this room, we can be more than conquerors. So we look to you, Jesus. Deliver us. As we speak in this moment, deliver us from a wrong way of seeing ourselves and deliver us into the identity that you've called us, the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, the lender, not the borrower, the giver, the light, 
the salt. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to lead us through a salvation prayer because Jesus is the only shepherd who can lead us from the darkness that we've been in to the light that he has for us. So if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, please repeat this prayer after me. And if you believe it in your heart and confess it out loud, according to scripture, you will be saved. Repeat after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive, forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's celebrate salvation. Let's celebrate deliverance. Let's celebrate a new mindset.